Alrighty, what's going on everybody and welcome into another edition of the Jim Bratton Podcast. I very much appreciate all of you watching and listening and before I get into the sports talk today, I just want to sort of briefly acknowledge the tragic shooting that happened at the Covenant School in Nashville yesterday and uh, would just like to extend my sympathies and thoughts and prayers to the families of the victims and everyone, just everybody that's dealing with the just, again, tragic situation that happened at the Covenant School yesterday, and what I'm not wanting to do is I'm not wanting to engage in the political discussions that come out of this, because that is not really something that I like to partake in on this show. And that just opens a completely different and separate can of worms that I would rather not be opened on this show. But I do just think that it's appropriate. I do think that it is appropriate to just acknowledge what happened and say that my thoughts and my prayers continue to be with the covenant community, which was just completely shaken up yesterday. And so I just thought that it's appropriate to acknowledge that. Uh, another little bit of housekeeping that I have before... I get into the show. Uh, it has recently been pointed out to me that the audio quality of this show would be very much improved if I were to go about buying some new equipment. That is, new microphones and new recording tools and other things of that nature. And so... I would very much like to give a very big shout out to f my friend of the show, Chris Yell, for pointing this out to me. And uh, Chris, you and I would imagine everybody else that listens to the show would be very delighted to know that I have recently purchased a new microphone and all of the new technologies that go along with that and the want the only downside to that is when I checked my order on Amazon yesterday uh, it informed me that the new equipment would not be here until the end of April which really sucks and so Believe me, I do want the audio quality of this show 
to improve. Obviously. But, you know, as they say, Rome was not built in a day. And I'm still sort of going through all of the numerous growing pains that come with establishing a brand and a podcast and whatnot. But that being said, I'm very much going to be waiting by my doorstep for the Amazon truck to arrive and drop my new microphone off. And so I'm very much looking forward to providing the best quality audio that I possibly can to the listening and viewing audience. And so I'm just hoping that the package comes well before the April 21st, I think it was, deadline that Amazon.com gave to me. But in conclusion to or of this, I'm very much hoping that the new mic gets here as soon as possible and I can sort of get that hooked up and get everything rolling the way that needs to roll in that regard. So that's just one of the very many things that I'm looking forward to and that the viewing and listening audience can look forward to from the Jim Bratton podcast as well in the coming weeks and months. Now, with all of that being said, let's get to this final four, if you want to call it that. No. No, as, as, crazy, as crazy as the teams that are involved in this final four goes because it is a crazy final four to say the least based on really only three of the teams that are in it. I think a lot of people probably saw UConn being there, but let's get into the craziness that comes with this final four, shall we? If you would have told me that after going through the Final Four last year, which contained the bluest of the blue bloods when you look at Kansas, Villanova, Duke, and North Carolina, if you would have told me that this year was going to be basically a mixed bag and it was going to be anyone's guess as to who would be participating in this year's Final Four, I, I probably would have laughed in your face because this year's Final Four, for those of you that have been living under rocks for the past month or so, this year's Final Four consists of, as I mentioned, UConn, Florida Atlantic, San Diego State, 
and Miami. I'm, I'm going to repeat that just so that it sinks in how crazy a Final Four this really is. UConn, Florida Atlantic, San Diego State, and Miami. That's really unbelievable, which really speaks to how really unbelievable this tournament has been by and large uh, this year. Uh, let me get into how our Final Four participants got to where they are. Uh, obviously, Vols fans, I know this is going to be hard to hear, but it's important that, w that we acknowledge this to sort of get through the grieving process <laughs> of it, but and there's a lot, as you can probably tell by the title of this particular episode, I have a lot more to discuss as it relates to Tennessee and Florida Atlantic and the directions of their individual programs. But I'll get to that here in a, more in detail here in a few minutes. Uh, but FAU... I guess they're really the de facto Cinderella of the group, because, which is interesting because typically you imagine the lower seeds being in that Cinderella role. FAU was actually a number nine seed, which is a little lower when you look at the seeds being ranked 1 to 16, obviously. Typically, what I'm saying is when you think of a Cinderella, you typically think of somebody like a George Mason who got to the Final Four a few years ago. Well, I say a few years ago. It's probably been a few decades, at the, or at least a couple decades at this point. But they got to the Final Four as a number 11 seed, which is pretty remarkable. And that is pretty much exactly what you expect from a Cinderella. Uh, Florida Atlantic was not necessarily one of those teams because up until this point, uh, they have won 35 basketball games, which is remarkable. But typically, that's not what you see from a Cinderella. I, be I believe they went up until this point there at 35 and 3. Actually, let me go back and check that. Yeah, thir 35 and 3 is Florida Atlantic's overall record up until this point in the season. And by the way, just as a point of personal privilege for the MTSU crowd out there, I do feel in a lot of ways contractually obligated to point out that one of those three losses was to 
my alma mater back during the regular season, and so, you know, true blue and whatnot, but having said that, MTSU, at the same time, this obviously does not find themselves in the Final Four. Florida Atlantic does, and going back to the Tennessee schools, and this is where the Vol fans come back into the conversation. Uh, FAU, of course, knocked off Tennessee in the Sweet 16, and then they knocked off Kansas State in the Elite Eight, which is another thing that I did not see coming. Really, I thought that FAU was going to get 40 pieced by K-State, that did not happen either. That actually turned out to be a really, really good basketball game. But having said all of that, you've got to give a lot of credit to Dusty May, who, again, I'll be getting into a little bit more here in a minute. You have to give him a lot of credit because once you get past how punchable his face is, you begin to object because he look him up. He does have a very very punchable face, but once you get past that, you have to acknowledge the man's a heck of a basketball coach and. I think a lot of credit has to go to him. Moving on to, to San Diego State, who will be playing FAU in the upcoming Final Four. Uh, I did not see this one coming at all either. And, of course, when you look at San Diego State's journey, they, of course, knocked off Creighton in the, the uh, Elite Eight, but before that, they knocked off number one overall seeded Alabama in the Sweet 16, and the reason I did not see San Diego State getting to where they are is just based on Alabama seeming like they were the dominant team in that region. I mean, when that that a uh, South region, and when you look at on paper, when you saw the path that Alabama would have had to go through, which obviously ended up being a little more treacherous in reality, but on paper it seemed like. It was just going to be a cakewalk, and Alabama, it seemed, for all intents and purposes, that Alabama found themselves in the right in the right place at the right time. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. But obvious, but ultimately. The Crimson Tide found themselves in, wait for it, wait for it, the, the wrong place at the wrong time. And to quote the 
uh, great philosopher Morgan Wallen, who I've mentioned at least once on this show uh, back during the football season. Uh, I guess the jokes on Alabama because they lost big this time. And that was certainly the case against the Aztecs of San Diego State University. Now, moving on to UConn, who I think is by far the runaway favorite to win this tournament, and I'll get into the details as to why here in a minute. They will be taking on Miami, the U, the U, they're back, in the Final Four. And so, as a, oh, really quick, let me get into Miami's journey because it's, and I really feel like I'm going to do a lot of venting here and the reason why is because I'm a little upset to see Miami in the Final Four because who did they beat in the Elite Eight? Texas. And the listening and viewing audience will recall that I had Texas. Not only did I have Texas in my Final Four, they were my national champion, my Texas Longhorns, who I, again, no, no longer consider to be my, te my Texas Longhorns anymore. And I'm a little sad that they're out now because they were the only piece that was holding my bracket puzzle together because all of the other three Final Four teams that I had got beat, obviously Alabama being one of them, and again, the joke is on Alabama because they lost big, they really did lose big this time, and Duke was another one, and of course they got knocked out by Tennessee, and then Tennessee got knocked out by FAU. I'm still really trying to, get to wrap my head around all of this as we speak, honestly. But, and of course UConn, I guess I probably should have seen UConn coming, because based on the way that they have played, in this tournament, they're really the really only dominant team left. And for reasons that I'll get into a little bit more here in a minute, they really showed why that is the case. Uh, so I really should have seen that coming. But Texas, I was really counting on them and they, they let me down. They let me down. I, I don't want to say that they broke my heart necessarily because I can 
officially go back to referring to them as the other UT. But, so it's not like the top UT in my life uh, was were the ones that were broke, breaking my heart in this instance. They've obviously done that more times than I can count in more sports than I can even begin to, or more games, I should say, than I can even begin to count on this show. I would have to take out an entire episode of the Jim Bratton podcast just to explain the all of the times that the Tennessee Volunteers have broken my heart over my nearly 28 years of existence. But Texas, they, they hurt me. They hurt me. They really did. They really did. And now my, bra- my bracket is completely, completely shot at this point. So... I just had to get that little bit of venting out of the way before I get into Yukon. So without further ado, let me get into Yukon and why I think they are the runaway favorite in this Final Four. And I guess I might as well go ahead and make a prediction, I am predicting that UConn will win the national championship because I just feel like I might as well get my prediction out of the way and not take out an entirely different episode to do that. Uh, March, this year's tournament has pretty much thrown everybody into whack, and so I'm deciding here today that, you know what, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I think UConn's going to win it all. I think they are the most complete team that is left in this tournament. I'm a very big fan of Adam, and if I'm Pronouncing this name incorrectly, I, I apologize. Adama Sanogo. Uh, I think he's an absolute monster over the course of the past year. He has averaged about 17 points a game. He has averaged about seven and a half rebounds a game and is shooting about 60% from the field. And he has a very big, support, good supporting cast around him. When you look at some of UConn's other key contributors, Jordan Hawkins, for one, uh, Andre Jackson Jr. is another guy that I've heard talked about on the TV numerous times. And very interesting guy that I want to touch on as it relates to UConn is the big seven-foot-two freshman, uh, Donovan Klingon. Uh, he's an absolute beast as well. He is averaging about seven points a game. And again, the points do not necessarily match up to 
uh, Sonogos, it's more of the rebounding effect that he has because, again, he is, as I mentioned, seven foot two. It's, it's almost like UConn has their own Sasquatch from Purdue, Zach Eady. Uh, Going to be a very tall task to go against Zach Eady. Obviously, that wasn't the case for Fairleigh Dickinson. But generally speaking, going against Zach Eady is a very tall task and Going against Donovan Klingen is a very, very tall task as well. And by the way, those tall puns that I just made are very much intended. But Donovan Klingen is an absolute monster. He's averaging about seven points a game, about 5.7 rebounds a game, and he's shooting... So about 65.5% from the field. And what makes those two guys so interesting and so special for UConn is that I heard Dan, Dan Hurley, Danny Hurley, the UConn head coach on TV last week, talking about this. It's basically, and what he said was, it's basically like having two big-time quarterbacks on the same team. And obviously, he was making the comparison of having two big-time NFL quarterbacks to what you can have with Adama Sanogo and Donovan Klingen on your basketball team. Uh, and when you look at that, it's really a very fair comparison because of how dominant these two guys have been for the Huskies. And I think that, and again, this goes back to the domination that I think these two, that you are going to continue to see from these two guys. I think that's definitely going to continue against the U. The U! And UConn is just going to have their way, potentially, with whoever they meet in the national championship game, whether that be... Florida Atlantic, or San Diego State. And so, I am predicting, as much as we talk about how there's a lack of blue bloods in this year's uh, tournament, I do think that the one blue blood that is left standing is going to come out on top, and that the Connecticut Huskies are going to be the ones who cut down the nets this upcoming Monday night in Houston. So that is pretty much it for the Final Four predictions. Let me come back to the second piece that I'm going to be discussing today. And as you can see 
in the title of the video or particular episode on Spotify of the Jim Bratton podcast, uh, you will see that there's been a very interesting take that has circled on the internet in recent days involving uh, Tennessee and Florida Atlantic. And just to get my frustrations out of the way early before I get into the nitty-gritty here, uh, re regular, se regular season Rick has struck again for the Tennessee Volunteers and has found a way to, despite all of the talent on his roster, and yes, I am well aware of the Zakai Ziegler injury. I've been well aware of that since it happened, obviously. But having said that, there are still plenty of talented pieces on Tennessee's roster not named Zakai Ziegler. And obviously on paper, you would have thought that Tennessee would have dominated Florida Atlantic. That did not turn out to be the case as FAU obviously finds themselves in the Final Four and Tennessee does not. The interesting take that has been circling around on the internet in recent days is that Tennessee should consider moving on from regular season Rick Barnes and go after Florida Atlantic's Dusty May, who I think is definitely going to get paid a lot of money by somebody. We've already seen what has happened with Tobin Anderson and FDU. He is now the head coach at Iona after taking over for Rick Pitino. That's a little bit of a sidebar that I have on the coaching circles in college basketball. But Dusty May, I think, is going to get paid by somebody. And Outkick, I believe it was Outkick, had the take that Tennessee should go after Dusty May. So now that I can sit back and look at this a little bit more objectively than I could immediately after the Florida Atlantic loss. When you look at Rick Barnes' record at Tennessee, he's, he's won 175 games since he's been in Knoxville. He's 175 and 92 overall, uh, 86 and 56 in the SEC. And he's been at Tennessee since 2015 after coming over from 
what I can now consider to be the other UT after they let him go. Uh, so the regular season record with Rick Barnes is not the problem, hence the nickname regular season Rick. The problem has been the postseason, and when you look at the job he's done in the NCAA tournament, on paper, it's obviously very good, but when you, at the same time, when you've got to deal with the rabid fan base that comes with the University of Tennessee, you really expect to see a little bit more because, as we all know, in the SEC, it really does just mean, and at a place like Tennessee in particular, just singling them out, a lot of you all probably already know where I'm going with this, it really does just mean more. And the tournament record, again, on paper is not terrible. I mean, in Rick Barnes' tournament appearances with Tennessee, you go back to 2018. Uh, they lost. They did lose in the second round. Who did they lose to? Uh, Loyola Chicago. Oh, that's right. Loyola Chicago, who found themselves in the Final Four, and, you know, shout out, shout out to Sister Jean and whatnot. Uh, so they lost to Loyola in 2018, 2019, as the number two seed in their particular region. They lost to Purdue in the Sweet 16. So definitely a better showing than the year they had in 2018. Uh, 2020 was, the tournament was canceled in 2020 for obvious reasons. 2021, they lost to Oregon State of all teams in the first round as a number five seed. And I'd have to go back and look at my bracket if I can even find it from that year, but the that is not a 5-12 upset that I had, just to say the least. So they lost to Oregon State in 21, two years ago. They actually won the SEC tournament and ended up as a number three seed in the NCAA tournament, and they get ended up, they ended up losing to Michigan in the second round, and of course this year they made it to the Sweet Sixteen and lost to FAU, as I've mentioned before, after knocking off Louisiana and. Duke, Jay, Jay Billis's precious Dukies, they were able to knock off them in the 
second round. And once again, I would like to give a shout out to Jay Bellis for all of the gaslighting that he did to to talk me into picking games that I should not have picked. So, so you know, thanks, Jay. I guess I'm still sort of getting a lot of my bracket frustrations out of the way as we speak. But Tennessee was able to knock off Jay Bellis's precious dookies before making it to the Sweet 16 where they were knocked off by FAU, obviously. And speaking of FAU, here's where Dusty May begins to enter the chat because his resume, he's only been a head coach at one spot, obviously, FAU being the only spot. Uh, before that, he was an assistant coach at the University of Florida and took over the FAU job at the beginning of the 2018 season. And as I said, his overall record is not nearly as accomplished as Rick Barnes's is because Dusty Mays only got, and I say only because obviously he's a little bit younger than Rick Barnes to say the least. Uh, Dusty Mays only 46 years of age and obviously Rick, Rick Barnes has been around a time or two more than Dusty May has. But anyway, having said that, uh, Dusty May's overall record, 101 and 59 overall, 52 and 34 in conference play. And obviously the, I'm not going to get into the tournament resume as it relates to the NCAA tournament because there really wasn't much of one to speak of until this season, obviously. And, you know, when you, when you look at Dusty May's resume and just the job that he's done in this tournament, generally speaking, there, there really is a lot to like. And obviously age is a factor. As I mentioned, he's only 46 years old. And when you're that young, you're probably viewed to a lot of people as the one of the young, younger up-and-coming coaches in college basketball, much like a Tobin Anderson. So it seems like he's more of an up-and-comer as it relates to what the college basketball community at large thinks of Dusty May. And 
I think it's easy, and it's definitely easy for a lot of Tennessee fans to come to this conclusion of, look, we know what Rick Barnes is. There's a, and I'm gonna I'm gonna put on my stereotypical Vol fan voice when I say this. There's a reason why they call him regular season Rick. He can't get the job done, Paul. He can't do it. And so for those reasons, it's easy to feel the need to want to move on from Rick Barnes. Because obviously Rick Barnes is a very well-known commodity in the coaching industry, and we all know what he can do, which, again, is nothing... not taking anything away from Rick Barnes, his resume is obviously very impressive, but for Tennessee fans, when you look at what their mindset is, it, their mindset, of course, being, it, it just means more, Paul. And obviously, a lot of the fan base is pretty frustrated and angry at Rick Barnes and just wants to move on. And another interesting tidbit about this particular situation, which is probably the main one of the main reasons why I think it's appealing to a lot of people, is because of the connection at the F between the athletic departments at Florida Atlantic and Tennessee because Florida Atlantic's athletic director Brian White is the brother of Tennessee's athletics director Danny White. And so obviously the the dots are being connected in that regard. And of course, one other reason that I have circling around in my head as to why Tennessee, as to why this is even a take to begin with, I should say, is because Danny White did not hire Rick Barnes necessarily. Obviously, when you're an athletic director, you probably want to hire your own people. And Rick Barnes was, while he's been very successful, even under Danny White's tutelage of the athletic department, uh, Danny White did not hire Rick Barnes. I believe Rick Barnes was a holdover from one of the one of the many previous administrations that I believe it was Mr. Hart's administration as it relates to who was in charge of the athletic department when UT hired Rick Barnes. So he was not one of Danny, Rick Barnes was not one of Danny White's guys, so to speak. 
And again, this brings me back to how the dots can be connected in that regard. Having said that, I do not see Tennessee making this move. I think, and again, this speaks to the frustrations that a lot of Tennessee fans have as far as wanting the next big thing goes. I think this idea may have been thrown around a little bit out of frustration as it relates to this particular outkick piece, but I do not see Tennessee making this sort of knee-jerk reaction to the to this particular situation, mainly because of the number one, the job that Rick Barnes has done and also the notion of replacing him with a fairly unknown commodity. I mean, on the one hand, you think you know what Dusty May could become, but on the other hand, you're still like, oh, I don't know. And so that's one main reason why I think Tennessee's not going to make this move. Another reason is one that I've come up with in my own head, not necessarily taking from the stereotypical reasons as to why you shouldn't make this move that a lot of other analysts might give. But I just think for a job like the University of Tennessee, take, take this for example, uh, St. John's. I mentioned Rick Pitino earlier on the show, this particular show, and I think I've talked about him in previous episodes as well. Uh, he, Rick Pitino, of course, was at Iona. He is now the head coach at St. John's. And contractually, I know there's a lot that needs to go into this as it relates to coaches being under contract with the school and whatnot. The St. John's situation was obviously a little bit different because they had already moved on from their current head coach. My, I think his name was Mike Anderson. I could be wrong. Really shows how relevant St. John's has been, or irre how irrelevant, Saint, I should say, St. John's has been over the last several years, quite frankly. But point main point I'm trying to make is St. John's really targeted Rick Pitino for that job, and obviously he ended up being the hire. 
for a job like the University of Tennessee, I think I think that you really need to know specifically who you're going after and not necessarily focused on the stereotypical, well, we're, we're going to put forward a united front. Well, not necessarily a united front. Hopefully that is the case, but we're going to go on a, you know, all the reasons that ADs and administrations like to lay out. We're going to go on a national search. We're going to take a broad brush and go through as many candidates as possible and blah, blah, blah. No. For a job like Tennessee in the Southeastern Conference, we're talking big time college basketball, which is kind of a similarity that St. John's took when they hired Rick Pitino. St. John's is, of course, in the Big East, which is a very dominant basketball conference. I mean, just look at UConn. But for a job like a St. John's or like a Tennessee in the Southeastern Conference where you have a fan base that is as rabid as all get out and a jo one of those jobs where it really does just mean more. You need to know who you're going after and at this point in time I don't think Dusty May is that guy. I think he could be down the road and if FAU continues the trend that they're on, assuming that Rick Barnes continues his regular season Rick persona and sort of struggles in the tournament and assuming that Dusty May has not already taken another big-time job, I think this is an avenue that we could go down again in the possibly not-too-distant future, but I don't see that happening right now. With the Rick Barnes situation, I think Zakai Ziegler's absence was obviously very noticeable. It was really noticeable during the regular season, especially in the Louisiana game in the tournament, it was noticeable, and especially in the FAU game, it was noticeable as well. And I think there's a lot of, I think that is a factor that goes into Tennessee's struggles this year, and there are a variety of other different factors as well. But as much as it pains me to say this in a way I think that we are and this is probably the wrong word to use but we are doomed as Tennessee fans for another year of at least and hopefully things get better <laughs> down the road but 
we are doomed for at least one more season of regular season Rick. And hopefully, hopefully, knock on wood, next year he can finally shed that persona and get Tennessee over the hump back to where they as an they as an athletic department and university see themselves being and so that is pretty much my t my take on this i mean as easy as it is to be attracted to the brand new shiny BMW on the car lot when you look back at your fill-in-the-blank whatever car you want to use, old, I guess old beat-up, uh, tore-up BMW is the, anal is the analogy that I'm going to use. Uh, as attractive as the new car or coach can be, uh, and as beat-up as the BMW that you currently have may seem on paper it is still very reliable and I think just at this moment Tennessee is going to decide to go with the beat up BMW that is Rick Barnes and not go for the flashy superstar looking BMW that comes potentially with a guy like a Dusty May. I think that a knee-jerk reaction is not necessarily the best approach for Tennessee to take. And so that is pretty much my take on that, and that is pretty much all of the time that I have for today. And as I mentioned on my social medias over the last day or two, there's going to be a lot of other fun stuff coming up on the show, especially in the month of April. April's going to be a very exciting month for the show, and not just because of all of the content that I'm going to be sharing with you guys, but also because of the new microphone that could be coming at the end of the month. And so I'm very much looking forward to that arriving, and I'm very much looking forward to talking about all of the exciting things that are coming up in the month of April as well. But that is pretty much all of the time that I have for today. I want to thank you all so much for watching and listening to this edition of the Jim Bratton Podcast. I very much appreciate it, and I'll see you soon.